with me to that end. I think that there are kind of two categories of things that we tend to associate with godliness. Follow me, if you will, here as I wax philosophic for a moment. I think if somebody's going to say that they are a godly person, or if we're going to use that description about someone else, we typically have kind of two categories that we tend to think of, and, and we'd like to check the box in both categories. The first category would be good deeds. Uh, in most of our minds, godly people ought to be good people. They ought to be kind and helpful. They ought to regularly do things that benefit others. And in most cases, if you ever encounter someone who claims godliness but treats other people poorly, that, that makes our antenna go up, doesn't it? And that, that's usually when we start, to, we start to cry hypocrite. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't look right. One category is good deeds. The other category is, as it seems to me, the other category is something I would call maybe spiritual disciplines. Let's call it spiritual disciplines. Things that we do like, like prayer or like Bible reading or like meditation or whatever the habits of mind are that we undertake as part of our faith. Things that might not have a direct impact on other people the way good deeds do, but things that nevertheless speak to our commitment about our faith. And I think for most of us, in our minds, godly people must at some level be, be people of spiritual discipline, people of a particular lifestyle, people of a particular kind of commitment that reflects their beliefs about God. So if you're following me here, kind of two categories uh, of, of godliness or two things, two categories of, that reflect godliness. And, and if if someone is going to claim to be a godly person, we kind of want to see them check both boxes. One, one is, is good deeds and the other is spiritual disciplines. And I bring that up because last week as we were plagiarizing Jesus through the Sermon on the Mount, we heard him address, I think, the first of those two categories. He was talking about good deeds. We heard him say that in the kingdom, it's not sufficient to just say, well, I went and did a good deed today, or I'm doing the right thing, or I, I tend to be a good person. Instead, we heard Jesus dig a layer deeper than that and say you really need to be careful about what motivates you toward godliness and specifically what motivates you toward doing good deeds. The real issue at the root of that, I think, uh, that we discovered was pride and ego. We have to be careful about those things because we need to be very mindful of whose approval we are seeking when we're doing good deeds. Now today we're going to continue on in the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to hear him express some of the very same types of concerns, but not about good deeds. Now he's going to turn his attention to that second category, to, to spiritual disciplines, and, and specifically prayer. Jesus is, is going to say, we're going to hear him say that in the kingdom it's not sufficient to say, well, I prayed for this long, for this many days in a row, and I memorized this many Bible verses. According to Jesus, as a matter of fact, that could actually be a sign that, that something is wrong. But enough of my words. I want us to just hear this in Jesus' words. And so I'm going to plagiarize Jesus here. From the Sermon on the Mount, he says this. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, 
your father will not forgive your sins. Now, if you want to go back and read that on your own, I was reading from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. But the people who first heard those words weren't reading them out of a book. They were sitting on a mountainside listening to Jesus talk, and he delivered them perhaps in a manner similar to what I just said. I can remember my very first day of attending our church's youth group. I was in sixth grade. Youth group is the ministry to junior high and senior high students. And so I had spent years in church as a part of the kids club that our church had. But when I got into sixth grade, it was time for me to start going to youth group, which was very exciting because as a sixth grader, I was far too cool to go to the kids club. It was for the little kids, you know, like the fourth graders. But I was ready for the teenage youth group. And so that was on a different night. And the kids that were there were cooler and they were bigger and they were tougher. And it was very exciting. And I remember the first night that I went to youth group, me and, and a buddy of mine went together. We were very excited. We were the youngest kids in the whole room. And we went, we were just in awe of, of, of the older teenagers as they were goofing around and hanging out before youth group. And then they gathered up the chairs because it was time for the service to get, begin. And my buddy and I sat in two chairs right in the front row, right in the middle because we didn't want to miss anything. And the youth worship team came out and they played songs that we didn't even know, but man, they were cool and everybody sang. And, and, and then the youth pastor got up and he delivered a sermon and I don't have the foggiest idea what that sermon was about, but I remember being there and listening to it. And, and then at the end of the sermon, the youth pastor said, who wants to pray? And I remember in that moment thinking, man, this has been so cool. This is so exciting. And, and I'm the new guy here. I want to fit in. I want to do everything I can to fit in. And he just asked a question. And I know the answer to this question. I don't want to be caught on the wrong side of this question. He just asked, who wants to pray? And I've been in church long enough to know everybody should want to pray. I don't even know why we're putting this up for a vote. But if we're putting it up for a vote, I'm going to make sure I answer the right way. And so when he said, who wants to pray, my hand shot up like this because I didn't want to get caught on the wrong side of that question. Who wants to pray? We should all want to pray, right? We should all want to pray. And I remember my youth pastor looking at me kind of with a look of surprise. Now remember, I'm in the front row. I can't see what anybody else is doing, but I could see my buddy sitting next to me looking at me with this look of terror on his face. And it was in that moment, with my eager little sixth grade hand in the air, that I realized he wasn't asking for a vote, he was asking for a volunteer. But it was too late. Youth pastor had already seen me. So with a little bit of surprise in his voice, he said, oh, Dan, on your first night. Oh, okay, go ahead, pray for us. And I wanted to crawl under the carpet and get out of that room, but it was too late. It was too late. I was in too deep. There was nothing that I could do about it. I remember being terrified in that moment. And I stood up and I prayed some fool thing. I have no idea, but I got to in Jesus name, amen, as quickly as I could. And I got out of there. I wonder how many of us can identify with being terrified to pray out loud in front of a group. And one of the reasons I think for that is that we've heard other people pray out loud and, and we aren't as good as them because their words are eloquent. Their words are powerful. Their words are intelligent and insightful. Their words are scripturally precise. And we feel like our words can't measure up because we are a lot of things, but eloquent is not one of them. My mom will tell you the story of when I was a little boy, I was called upon one time to, probably many times, but one time in particular, to, to say the prayer before dinner. And on this particular night, I prayed that the beef stew that she had prepared would be transformed into bratwurst. <laughs> that was not my most eloquent prayer. Now, I would submit to you that it was an anointed prayer because the Bible says that God desires good gifts for his children. It was an anointed prayer, but sadly it was not a prophetic prayer on that particular night because the beef stew remained beef stew. It did not become bratwurst and I had to eat it. <laughs> not my most eloquent prayer ever. Speaking of praying before dinner, 
It's interesting to me that, that many of the most common venues for prayer in our culture, the, the ways that we pray today and the times that we pray today, in many cases, they don't really find their source in the Bible. There's no commandment in the Bible to pray before you eat a meal. We, we see the example of people giving thanks before the meal a handful of times throughout Scripture. But there's nowhere in the Bible that says if you grab a French fry before the prayer has been given that that French fry is tainted with sin. You know, that, I'm not trying to give anybody license here. I'm just saying the Bible doesn't say you're not allowed to eat before you pray. But yet prayer before the meal is one of the common ways that we in our culture tend to pray together. Likewise, the Bible really doesn't have too much to say in the way of bedtime prayers. The Bible has a lot of examples of people praying very first thing in the morning, but there's nothing in the Bible that really equates to, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Most importantly, I think maybe most significantly for what we're gonna look at today, there's very little in, in the Bible in the way of one individual leading a verbal prayer on behalf of a whole bunch of people who are mostly silent. You know, the way we tend to do it in church just about every week. That really doesn't find its source in the Bible. As I read it, we see a lot of examples of people praying alone in the Bible, usually out loud, interestingly enough. Uh, but we also find a lot of examples of people praying together where everyone's participating at some level. But I don't know that the early church would necessarily recognize corporate prayer the way we tend to do it, where one person stands on a stage and most everybody else is, is more or less silent and maybe offers a, an encouraging amen or yes, Lord, here or there. But one person on behalf of the old group isn't exact. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying that's not really the way they tended to pray. Maybe... Maybe it would benefit us to take a closer look at how exactly the Bible does describe prayer. And if we're going to do that, what, what better place to start than with the words of Jesus himself, as, as we heard already. So let me remind you what he has said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. You heard it a few moments ago. Jesus says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. What he's doing here is, is pushing back on the practice of praying publicly in order to attract the attention of the crowd. I remember many years ago hearing a, a stand-up comedian being interviewed on television, and he was talking about one of the places that he got his start. He had been booked as, as the house comic at some nightclub in, in the downtown area of some city. And the manager of that nightclub would have him on stage several nights a week uh, so that the folks that would come to, to drink and, and whatever, uh, you know, he was, he was the entertainment. But it was the uh, idea of the manager that uh, because there was a large window that looked in on the nightclub from the busy street of this downtown area, the, the manager wanted people, he wanted to attract a crowd of people that were just hanging out downtown that might pass by and, and see what was happening inside and say, oh, that looks like fun. And, and they might go in and, and have a drink and, and, and uh, enjoy the evening there. And so the manager had given the, the comedian the instruction. He said, when we open in the evening, write it open. I want you out on the stage. I want you to start your routine. And the comedian was recalling the story. He said, it was so odd. I would start a routine at opening and no one was in the restaurant. Nobody was at the bar. Nobody was there to hear me, but I was already doing what I would do so that people would come in and, oh, there's fun things going on here. And he said, but it was incredibly awkward. Do you know how hard it is to do a stand-up comedy routine for no one? And he said, people would, they'd come by and they'd, they'd peek in and say, oh my goodness, they've got a comic. Let's go in and, and have a drink there before the show we're going to, or before they, and they'd walk in, and kind of look around. <laughs> is he crazy? Is he crazy? I think they have a crazy man on the stage because he's talking to no one. And the comedian recalled that as awkward as it was to do his routine for, for no one, it was even more awkward for him to do his routine for the first guest who showed up that night. <laughs> you know, the very first person that kind of comes in like, who's he talking to? And then they sit down, and now I'm doing a stand-up comedy routine uh, but there's just Nancy sitting there. You know, that, that's a little awkward. That's a little, little awkward. It just doesn't work. Because comedy 
isn't really meant, stand-up comedy isn't really meant to work in a one-on-one -on -one environment. It's not meant for an audience of one. Comedy doesn't work well with a single listener, but prayer isn't like that at all. Prayer requires only one listener. Only one listener matters. Prayer requires only one listener. Now, some people, like those that Jesus was referencing in his day, they didn't like to pray unless there were a lot of people present to hear them. And on the other hand, some people, like in our day, don't like to pray if there are any people around to hear them. And I think that what we can take from this is that both of those perspectives are a mistake because they put the emphasis on the wrong listener, right? Both of those perspectives are a mistake. When we pray, we shouldn't be concerned with whether or not there's a crowd listening. When we pray, we focus on only one listener. And that, of course, is our Heavenly Father. And if God is the only listener who really matters, then we had best make sure that we're praying prayers that make sense to him. Let's not worry quite so much about whether our prayers make sense to the human people who might be listening to them. Let's prioritize, does my prayer make sense to God? That really should be the issue that's important. And Jesus, of course, gives us advice on that matter. It's in verse 7. I read it earlier. He says, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. When you pray, do not keep on babbling. For those of you that have any concerns at this moment, I would just like to, in my defense, point out that it does not say, when you preach, do not keep on babbling. So what I'm doing right now is a godly, anointed thing. There's nothing wrong with it whatsoever. But when we pray, you like that? When we pray, do, do not keep on babbling, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Don't keep babbling. Well, what exactly does that mean? It's clear, let me just start with this. It is very clear that Jesus isn't telling us that we can't repeat ourselves in our prayers. He, he's not saying, say it once, get in there, get it done, get out and be done with it, okay? Because you're holding up the line here, people. Okay, he's not saying you can't repeat yourself. And it's clear because Jesus himself would sometimes repeat himself in prayers. And later on, he would tell us a story about how it's a good idea to be persistent in our prayers and pray the same thing again and again and again if you need to, to be persistent until you see the answer to your prayers. He's not saying, you know, just make all your prayers short and sweet. Similarly, some folks have wondered when Jesus says, don't keep on babbling, some folks have been like, is he talking about tongues? Right? Is he saying, is, is he saying, don't. You know, that whole like speaking in other tongues thing is, is not right. Is that what he's talking about? Well, I would submit to you that that can't possibly be what Jesus is saying here because Jesus identifies himself as the one who baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. And that is the power in which we do speak and we do pray in unknown tongues. And so Jesus couldn't very well equip us to do something and then say, but don't ever do that thing that I just empowered and enabled you to do. That, that doesn't make sense. So what does he mean when he says don't keep babbling? I think it's clear that when Jesus says don't keep babbling in our prayers, what he's actually thinking about here is, is certain religious traditions that were, were prevalent in Jesus' day. And, and I would submit we still have examples of this in the world today. Religious traditions that would suggest that the godly way of doing things, the godly way of praying, is that in a certain situation you need to recite a certain prayer and you need to repeat it a certain number of times. And if you say the right words in the right order, the right number of times, again and again and again, then and only then will God hear you and respond. Okay, then and only then can you expect that God will hear your prayer. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. That's not how God hears our prayers. And look at what he says. Your father knows what you want before you even ask him. Your father knows what you want before you ask him. Jesus wants his children to be confident that God understands your prayers immediately. God understands your prayers immediately. Immediately. 
There's no waiting, there's no, okay, I'm gonna count it. You'd say it one time, two times, three times, four times, five, and five is the magic number today. Now I'm listening. It's not how God works. When God hears the voices of his children, God understands your prayers immediately. Later on in the New Testament, <laughs> we read that there are even times when I don't know how to pray. I don't even know how to put into words exactly what it is that I'm asking God to do or exactly what it is that I need from God. Now, I don't really understand exactly how to articulate in the English language what's going on. And the Bible says, don't sweat it, Dan. God still knows. God still understands your prayers even when you don't. Even when you don't, let me put it this way. God's ability to perceive my need is not limited by my ability to describe my need. Anybody on Twitter this morning? I think you could put that right out right now. God's ability to perceive my need is not limited by my ability to describe my need. So there's no reason. There's no reason for me to go through the motions of reciting fancy phrases in certain orders a certain number of times just to make God respond. He already knows. He already knows. Some of you have a burden on your heart today. Some of you are grieving today. Some of you are feeling some particular way about something today. And maybe you can't even describe it. And I just feel like that right there, God is on that statement for you today. He already knows. He already knows. He already knows. Sometimes the church is able to assist people in, in our church family here. Sometimes somebody will come up against a situation where they have a, a specific financial need. And from time to time, part of what we do as a church is help each other out. And we've been able to, you know, help people in, in times of need with things like that. Because that's a pretty common ministry of, of a church, a, a benevolence or financial assistance, something like that. Because it's a pretty common ministry of churches, uh, it's not uncommon for, for me to take phone calls in the office from people in the community, people that I don't know, but people that are just calling churches and they're saying, hey, I, you know, I have this need. Is there anything that you can do to help? And from time to time, we're able to help with that. It's, it's been the longstanding policy of HRCC that we certainly prioritize financial assistance within the church family. So it's not often that I'm able to actually give financial assistance to the community at large, but sometimes there are different creative ways in which we're able to help with a need. But because people know that churches do that, what also happens is that there are folks in, in this community like every other who kind of have made a lifestyle of going from one church or one charity or one organization to the next and, and, and just trying to have their needs met that way. And having pastored at this address for, for 10 years now, uh, I've gotten to know a few of these folks actually fairly well. I know a number of them by name because we've kind of, you know, it's like they've batted around and they're back to the top of the order. And, and so I get another call a few years down the road. And I don't mean to say that those things are never legitimate. But because I've been here a long time, I certainly have experienced specific individuals uh, that aren't telling the truth. Can I just say that? Specific individuals that are, 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 are working the system, for whatever that reason might be. I think you guys understand what I'm saying. What's amazing to me is how many of those types of phone calls begin this way. Uh, yeah, can I speak to the pastor? Yeah, this is the pastor. How can I help you? Uh, yeah, this is so-and-so. And I just want you to know, I'm not calling to ask for money. I love it. It's amazing to me how common that sentence is. I'm not calling to ask for money. And then they tell me their story, and then they ask for money. Can we just review that sequence again? <laughs> I'm not calling to ask for money, and then they tell their story, and then they ask for money. And I'm always intrigued by that because when you said you weren't calling to ask for money? Well, I, I knew you were calling to ask for money uh, because you and I have talked 
half a dozen times in the last 10 years. And I, I, I know the script, I've, I've heard it before. I, I knew you were calling to ask for money. Have you ever had that kind of situation? Have you ever been on a phone call with somebody or in a conversation with somebody where they, they were saying one thing, but, but you knew it was about something else? Have, have you ever been on the phone with somebody who called you to tell you that they were excited to tell you that you had qualified for energy savings? But you knew, you knew as soon as they said it, that what they really meant was they wanted you to spend $10,000 on new windows for your home or new panels for your roof or new generators for your whatever, right? They didn't actually mean that they were excited that you had qualified for energy savings. What they really meant is, I want you to give my company $10,000 worth of business. That's, that's what they meant, but you knew when they said the, you knew right away what their need was. Aren't you glad that God is more gracious than any of us are in that moment? Aren't you glad that God is more gracious than any of us are in that moment? And, and here's the thing. I think sometimes when we go to the Lord in prayer, we feel like that unscrupulous person trying to get money. We feel like that unscrupulous salesman cold calling and, and twisting their words around. We feel like we're doing that, but here's what you need to know today. When you call on the name of the Lord, I guarantee you that he is not rolling his eyes. He is not saying, here we go again. He's not trying to see through your charade. He's not trying to figure you out. God is not trying to avoid being taken advantage of. Listen to this. Can any of us take advantage of God? Is it possible for a human being to take advantage of God? No, it's not. And God knows that. So God's not worried about being taken advantage of. You and I sure are when the phone rings, right? Like, oh, I don't want to give him any information. No, I'm not going to tell you that. I'm not going to. We, that's how we respond. But God has no need to respond like that because God's not worried about being taken advantage of. That example that I just gave you, that picture that I gave you, that is not how prayer works. And God wants you to know that he's not doing any of those things. The moment you called, he knew your need and he understands you immediately. He understands you immediately. So just, just speak, just speak to him. This is the point in Jesus's words where he kind of stops and just gives us an example, gives us an example of how to pray. And it's a prayer that I know many of us have committed to memory. And it's a prayer that's consistent with the advice that he's already given. The Lord's Prayer is, is a simple prayer. It's a personal prayer. And it's marked by this, just this faith and this confidence that God is listening. God is listening. God is listening. And near the end of the prayer, there's this line about seeking forgiveness for our sins in, in the same manner that we have forgiven other people. And when the prayer ends, Jesus offers an explanation about that line specifically. It's in Matthew chapter 6. Verse, verse 14, he says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. And people sometimes read this verse and in, in my experience, they get very, very nervous about the implications. And we think, does this mean that if I haven't been forgiving, then God's not gonna forgive my sins and, and then, then I'm going to hell? Like, is that what this means? Is like, I'm really in trouble here. And then we think that, and then we start to get paranoid and, and we start to try and remember all of the people that we might still need to forgive. And, and we start thinking through our lives, did I, man, did, I, did I forgive Tom for looking at me goofy that way when I volunteered to pray that night? You know, he really put me on the spot and I, maybe I did forgive him, maybe I didn't forgive him. And we start to get paranoid about all of that. And then, then we feel guilty about the people that we know we didn't forgive and we're still struggling with forgiveness. And it's like, well, I, you know, that person is gonna keep me out of heaven. And then we grow bitter about the entire thing and, and it's getting us nowhere, right? That's a bad cycle. Can we break that cycle? I think we're looking at it backwards. I think we're looking at it backwards. And so let's flip it around. 
I would submit to you that this cannot purely be a matter of Jesus saying you have to do A in order to make God do B, right? Jesus isn't saying you have to do A in order to make God do B because Jesus had just one line earlier before the prayer addressed that. When we talked about the babbling, he said it's not about going through this specific formula in order to make God work like a machine and give you the result you want. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. Here's what's true, folks. God has already forgiven you. God has already forgiven us. But, and this is what's important here, prayer, prayer the way that God intends it to be. Prayer is one of the things that unlocks the forgiveness, that, can I use a different word there, releases the forgiveness that God has for us. Maybe this is the best way of putting it. Prayer positions us to receive God's blessings. Prayer positions us to receive God's blessings. I had a little mini rant up here a Sunday ago about God's blessings, about how I feel strongly that we need to accept the fact that there's nothing wrong with pursuing the blessings of God, the things, the very things that he has promised for us. There's nothing wrong with this. When God, when you see that God has rewards for you, it's, it's, it's just wise. It's just wise to pursue those rewards. Jesus had referenced this earlier. I didn't put it on the screen, but earlier in the passage that we, we heard him say that I plagiarized, he said, when you're praying this way, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He will reward you. That's exactly the same line we heard him use a week ago when he was talking about good deeds and doing those in secret. He's saying your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Jesus is saying, hey, everybody, pay attention. You in the back row, listen up here. Not you. You in the back row, listen up. This is for everyone. God sees what you're doing in secret and he rewards that. He rewards that. It's okay to pursue that. Can I tell you why I pray? I mean, there, there are a lot of reasons why I pray, but, but here's, here's an important one. And I think it's in, in view of what Jesus is talking about today. I pray because I believe that prayer unlocks the blessings of God in my life. I believe that prayer unlocks the blessings of God in my life. Now, here's what I don't mean by that. I don't mean that if I log in a certain number of hours of prayer, it earns me gold stars in a higher rank in heaven. That's not what I'm talking about at all. I'm saying that in this life, it is a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. I commit myself to regular prayer because I believe that unlocks what God is trying to accomplish in my life. That's the key to doing it. And so that's why I pray. When I pray, I center my heart in God's heart. And there's a blessing in that. When I pray, I transform my mind with God's mind. And there's a blessing in that. When I pray, I surrender my will to God's will. And there's a blessing in that. When I pray, I exchange my foolishness for God's wisdom. And there's a blessing in that. When I pray, I trade my brokenness for God's healing. And there's a blessing in that. When I pray, I smother my bitterness with God's love. And there's a blessing in that. When I pray, I obliterate my anxieties with God's certainties. And there's a blessing in that. When I pray, I supplement my lack with God's abundance. And there's a blessing in that. And when I pray, I negate my weakness with God's strength. And there's a blessing in that. And we could put our heads together and go on and on and on and on. There's a blessing in that. And church, we need to pursue that blessing because we need that blessing. Amen? And so here's how we're going to conclude today. I referenced earlier in my message that there are some religious traditions that, in my view, put too much emphasis 
um, reciting particular words at particular times, a certain number of sequences of times. And, and I would submit that even Jesus says we've got to be careful about that because that's not the way that God has designed prayer to work. But let's be honest here and hold the, you know, hold the flashlight up to, or hold the mirror up to ourselves here. In our particular religious tradition, sometimes I think we have underemphasized the importance and the significance of just praying prayers that, that Scripture gives us. And certainly at the top of that list is, is what we have here today. We often refer to it as the Lord's Prayer. We're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together. God has given this to us. Jesus specifically has given this to us. And when he says it, he doesn't say, here's an example of the kinds of things that you can pray for. He says, when you pray, you do a language study here, what he actually says is, recite these words. Recite these words. When you pray, recite these words. How many of us, you don't have to put your hands up, but I'm going to put two of them up, enough for everybody here, right? How many of us know what it is to say, you know, I really know that I ought to be praying right now, but I don't know how to pray. Now, as Pentecostals, we get to that point and we think, of course, about, well, that's part of the, the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit prays through us. I want to uphold and affirm that. That is incredibly important. But in addition to that, Jesus has said, there are times when I'm just going to give you the words to pray. And if you don't know how to pray, how about starting right there? How about starting by just praying the words as, as, as our Lord has has taught us, right? And so we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together. Now, I read it earlier from the, the New International Version, which is a much more modern, kind of familiar, comfortable uh, translation of, of God's Word. Uh, but I know that most of us memorize the Lord's Prayer. If you haven't memorized, you probably have it in an older, like a King James kind of English that was more common in the days of Shakespeare. And so we're going we're gonna to recite it, and we're going to use the these and the thous and the thuses, because uh, I think that's, that's how most of us are probably most familiar with it. You know what? Translation really doesn't matter a whole lot. I just want us to pray this way. And so, Kelly, go ahead and put the text. It's going to be on two different screens. If, if you've got it committed to heart, you can close your eyes and, and just pray right now. Uh, if you want to follow along on the screens, that's okay, too. But here's what I'm going to ask. Um, Hannah's just going to give us some background music, and I want us all to pray together. Don't let me recite this over for you. There's, there's times when that's right, but I, I would like to invite every person in this room for us all to pray together. And we're going to pray as Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And here's the other thing I want to do as we close today. I want to give us time to apply what we've heard Jesus say. And so we're going to take just a brief couple of minutes here at the end. And I'm going to have Hannah just keep playing as she is. And I want to open this, this room as a prayer room. Jesus said that his father's house should be known as, you know where I'm going with this, right? The house of prayer. Sometimes we've, we've made the mistake of making it a, a house of sermons or, or a house of uh, good band music. Let's make it a house of prayer today. And, and here's how I'm going to ask you to participate. I am not going to pray through the microphone. I'm going to turn my mic off. And I'm just going to give a few moments but we are going to pray together. And so I would encourage you, I'm not going to make you, but I want to encourage you to pray verbally. 
I want to encourage you to pray with your mouth because how many members are in the audience that matter right now? Just one. Just one. And so if you overhear someone else contributing to this chorus of prayer, that's okay. You don't need to turn your head and see who it is. We all know that some of us are louder than others. Okay? That's fine. That's fine. And if you find yourself in the next couple of moments saying something and then thinking, oh my goodness, somebody's looking at me, that's okay. That's what we've all seen you before. <laughs> we all know you. Nobody's staring. It's fine. I just would like to maybe tug us in that direction for a moment or two. I invite you to pray audibly. And here's what I want to say about that. If you don't know what to say, if you don't know what words to pray in the next couple of minutes, we've got you covered. We've got you covered. You could pray the Lord's Prayer again. That's what Jesus said, right? You could pray for our meeting that's going to take place tonight. That God would be honored as his people come together uh, and conduct the business of the assembly. There's a prayer request right there. You could pray for a prayer need of somebody else in this congregation or at home that you might know is in need of a touch from God. Uh, do a little brainstorming while I go on babbling here for just another 30 seconds or so. But I want to encourage you that this is a moment, even if you've never prayed out loud before. Oh, I'm making some of you nervous right now, aren't I? I know you are. I know you are. But that's okay. Even if you've never done it before, see if God might bring you Hallelujah. 
Scripture records that on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus was praying. No surprise there, right? He was a man of prayer. He's a man whose life was punctuated by the need to just speak with his father. And even at that meal that he shared with his followers that night, the word says that that he, he gave thanks to God. He prayed with them. gave him the bread he said I want you to remember this moment I want you to remember me and so we take the bread and we respond to that invitation that was given in in a single room on that night but we believe by the power of the Holy Spirit reverberates through rooms throughout time and throughout space throughout eternity to all those would call him Savior. That the Lord Jesus Christ said, remember me. Remember me. And so we receive the bread today. Even on the cross, as his blood was literally being spilled, He was still a man of prayer, wasn't he? Father God, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. We know what it is from time to time to be oppressed. To be the subject of of the attack of the enemy. And if we're to remember Jesus, we're to remember that in those moments as much as any other We can be people of prayer. We can bring to our lips the words that reflect the state of our hearts. And so Jesus, as we remember with this emblem that your blood was spilled for us, we remember as well that you made a way for us to receive the blessings of the Father. And so we receive the cup today. song that we sing sometimes I just want to reference it here Uh, you know that song we sing uh, in church that says you are worthy of it all you are worthy of it all the bridge of that song says day and night night and day let incense arise I've had a few people ask me what what on earth does that mean like we're burning incense now like we need to wear Birkenstocks church like what's, what's going on here the image is one from the book of Revelation. Yeah, Chuck, I see. I see. The image is one from the book of Revelation, the very throne room of God, where his day and night never stops. The prayers of the saints rise into his presence. And the symbol of the prayers, right? That's what we're talking about today, right? The prayers of the saints. The symbol of those prayers is the burning of incense. Now that goes all the way back to the ancient Jews in the Old Testament, way the beginning, they would burn incense, the emblematic of the prayers rising up in heaven. And then very at the end of the Bible, we get the reverse view of that. Where in the Bible, you know, we see the throne room and here's this incense. And, and, and what John the Revelator is, is, is amazed by in that moment is he's like, it never stopped. It never stopped. Day and night and night and day. Let incense arise. You guys really want to try this? Yeah. Carmen's like, got it, bro. Are we Okay, we're going to try and sing it. And if we get it, we get it. And if we don't, it doesn't matter because there's only one in the audience. 
So it's day and night, night and day, let incense arise. Day and night, night and day, let incense arise. Day and night, night and day, let incense arise. Day and night, night and day, you are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. So here we're going to go, and they're going to worship with us, and we're just going to go for it. Lord, you are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. For from you are all things, and to you are all things, and you deserve the glory. Let's sing it that way one more time. And you are worthy of it all. That's right, Lord. And you are worthy of it all, for from you are all things, and to you are all things, you deserve the glory. Day and night, Lord, let incense arise, let the praises of your people arise to your heavenly throne room. Lord, receive the prayers of your people. You hear the prayers of your people. Before one word is uttered by our lips, you understand your people. And you hear and you respond. You respond to the prayers of your people. Be blessed, Lord Jesus. Be magnified, Lord Jesus. We thank you for this. It's in his name that we pray. That we pray, right? And everybody says amen. Before I dismiss you, before I dismiss you, I need to tell you this. Before service, Hannah said to me, what song do you want to sing at the end when I come up? And Hannah, what did I say? I said, I'm not going to call for a song. We're not going to sing a song at the end, so don't worry about it. Okay, why don't you play us out? Church, be dismissed. Be blessed. Thank you.